Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah. I'm all day in my, I'm all day in my, I'm all day in my dark sunglasses. You know, so as I walk into the Situation Room Studios, check this out, Mr. Newen. Right here. Oh, yeah. Wait, can it, is it, there it is. There you so, go. So, um... Dude, I'm telling you, RomikaDesigns.com, RomikaDesigns.com. Ron Phillips made this keychain. Actually, you can see that pretty good. Um, yeah, he made very good. a couple of those. Yep. Bring so them with you. When you uh, he actually made a whole stack of them just for the oh, South okay. Carolina event. Folks, I'm telling you, the first weekend, I believe it's the fourth. Uh, we are going to be in Greenville, South Carolina, and uh, we are going to be at the Rock the Red USA event. RockTheRedUSA.com. Get over there. Look at the That's list. That's in of- Greenville, South Carolina, Rock. Did I say Greensville again? No, no you didn't. I'm just emphasizing you, important things. You said Greenville. Greenville. I know that, Donna. <laughs> it's just very important. I wanted to bring it up again, Rock. So we won't have these available as keychains because you want to carry us, the Situation Room, everywhere you go because it's just the way it has to be. Don Newman, yeah. Donna Fiducia. I think the word you you're doing? looking for, Rock, is omnipresent. That's what I was going to say. It's so weird that you Can said we that. Get started with the interview here because they made a movie about the guy you see there, Scott Thino, and this guy right here. Step Brothers. It's called Step Brothers. That's right. Oh, all right. All right. All listen, right. full disclosure, ladies and gentlemen. He has nothing on these guys. The, the, wine mixer. the <laughs> guest that we've got is my brother, my stepbrother, Scott Thino. And we're going to get into some deep subjects here. And, uh, you know, quite honestly, full disclosure is that there's a couple of us on this show that uh, have first-hand knowledge of what we're going to be talking about. So without any further ado, because it's going to be a very serious discussion, we're playing around. That's about to end right now. Okay, let me read the bio, and then you guys can get into this, because this is going to be more of a a guy thing, I think. Scott is a jack-of-all-trades, literally, executive director of the nonprofit organization, The Keepers of the Mitten. He is a master mason by trade. We we do have some work here. Scott needs to be done, so whenever you come down, that would be very cool. And private contractor for his company, Fino Development. Scott is also an artist and musician and co-owner of the art and media company, 121 v4 creations scott is also reformed felon he does community outreach to assist those newly released from the department of corrections up there in uh, wisconsin in the green bay area mostly and scott thino sort of step what do you call this a step are, are we step- he's your step brother is he my step brother yeah okay whatever absolutely <laughs> and he's also rocky's brother because we've had some in-depth conversations 
And Rocky Stucci, I think you will attest that you have added a new brother to your list Absolutely. in Scott Pino. Absolutely. Right, my Scott brother's from a different mother. I'm going to let Rocky start this thing off. You take it wherever you want to, Big Rock. Well, Scott, hey, first of all, welcome to the program, brother. Glad you're here. Um, and I just Thank want to let the me. listeners know that I was on the phone uh, with Don Nguyen and Scott. It was a couple few weeks ago, and uh, it was probably about a good 90-minute conversation. And we were talking about societal events. We were talking about the judicial system. We were talking about prison reform. Uh, you know, this is one of those things that it shouldn't be a left or a right thing. It shouldn't be a conservative or a liberal thing. It should be a right and wrong thing. And uh, we always get distracted, ladies and gentlemen, in regards to so many things that perfect example. Right now, we're talking about January 6th, and that's all we keep hearing about. But we're not talking about some issues to where I think the American people have been completely manipulated and we're not focusing on those things. And so when Don and I were talking with Scott on the phone, we just thought, you know what? These are the kind of conversations that we need to bring on the airways. We need to stimulate the thought process of those that are listening and those that, you know, lots of times we hear the Democrats talking about prison reform. Um, but again, it shouldn't be a democratic thing. We should really understand where's the reform needed and where's the judicial reform needed uh, because I'm to the point to where I'm pretty comfortable saying that we have a majorly broken and majorly corrupt system, and it's a lot of people are paying the price for that, except the people that are creating that system. So, Scott, thank you for being here, and I'm looking forward to this conversation. Well, thanks for having me. So when we talk about – let's start out with prison reform because I think judicial reform is going to be a whole nother long-winded conversation. Um, when I bring up the word prison reform to you, uh, what is the first thing that kind of – that kind of hits you in regards to prison reform uh, concerns. Is it working? Uh, should it work? Uh, or is our system right now that we have in place currently working? I would say quite honestly that the system itself is inherently broken. Um, and what I notice mostly is that instead of being a rehabilitative type environment, it's exactly the opposite. You take people that probably have committed a felony or their drug or alcohol-related incidents or something that was non-violent, let's say, and you stick them in a violent uh, environment and you actually make a, a better criminal by the time you're released than you do if you tried to rehabilitate them on the outside. And the cost of incarcerating a human for a year or whatever in any state far outweighs the cost of what it would be to try to rehabilitate them. All right. So I want to hit on that really quick, the rehabilitation part. Now, there are some people that are going to watch this show that, uh, and I'm going to write notes so I have talking points because we're going to hit a lot. And, and I'm going to tell you folks right now, an hour is not going to be enough time for this conversation. Hour and a half in our private conversation was enough time. Anybody who's never experienced anybody who's made a mistake in life and had to go through the system, uh, this will be hard for them to understand. Um, but let's talk about the rehabilitation part. So somebody right now gets incarcerated. Um, they offer very generic programs. And so let's talk, Scott, in regards to what happens during the incarceration of somebody in regards to quote-unquote rehabilitation. And then once they get released, what is offered in regards to make that individual a better, stronger person compared to the current system we have, meaning parole, paper, whatever it may be. Um, how are we helping people become a better citizen right now? 
Well, inside the system, I can only speak for myself and for the state of Wisconsin, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as like I've seen it, um, part of the issue is that they don't give you any rehabilitation until you've already completed a large part, portion of your sentence. So let's say, let's say you were in prison for a drug offense and you got a five-year sentence. Well, you wouldn't receive any treatment until maybe the third year. So by the time you've sat in that environment for three years, you're not really open to the treatment as much as you would have been probably at the beginning. And the treatment, like you said, is kind of generic. And the treatment doesn't, it, it, it basically focuses on like, it felt to me like it was more of like a wiping your ass before you shit kind of thing where they were just covering their own ass and it really wasn't geared toward you or rehabilitating you personally. It was federal funding. If you completed a program um, and you didn't really feel like you walk out the door with more tools than you walked in with. Mm -hmm. And then when you go on probation and parole, they start the treatment all over again. And usually at least in the state of Wisconsin, it's exactly the same program you just finished inside. So instead of like continuing your program or like making sure that you have like another step in your program, you're just repeating the same information over again. And that's not conducive to rehabilitation at all. You know, brother, and I know we talked about this on the phone uh, in regards to drug offenses. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I have done every single street drug available to man uh, on this planet. That does not make me a bad person. Um, I've known people that have gotten caught with seven plus pounds of cocaine, but they were able to afford. Now, I listen to what I just said, folks. Seven plus pounds of cocaine, okay? They never served a day in jail with seven plus pounds of cocaine. And, and Scott, you can attest to this, that there are guys in there on marijuana charges, which half the country now and half the states in this country is legal. But we know that there's a large portion of people right now incarcerated because they got caught with an ounce of weed. They got caught with maybe a couple ounces of weed and they are serving literally, literally multiple years on that charge. So that the, the unbalance and hypocrisy in our system is off now rehabilitation well, let, me, let me ask yep. you one thing though let me ask you one thing before we get to rehab as somebody looking from the outside in what's getting me so frustrated as somebody who obviously has never been in that system that what you're talking about is legal in some states now and and didn't trump get this woman this this poor african-american woman out of jail who i think did 20 years because she had a joint i mean the imbalance is unbelievable to me and and nothing uh, trump i think tried to do some stuff about it but for the most part this has been pretty much ensconced for so many decades that it's pretty hard to undo it but i mean what do you do if if you're caught with a couple ounces of pot say in new jersey but in colorado it's legal i mean how do they how do they get around that go ahead scott well they really don't you uh i live in wisconsin and I'm surrounded by states that have legal marijuana. You can cross over the, where I live up north. I can literally drive 40 minutes, cross the border into Michigan, 
buy marijuana at a store, smoke it over there. But if I cross the border, either high and or carrying it anything with me to bring home, I would be going to prison. Right. So, so that allies one of the problems that we have. And, and then, so when we call for prison reform, folks, we're not talking about, you know, murderers being released. We're not, we're not sympathizing towards hate crimes or any type of violent crime. We're looking at some of these crimes and, and here's the problem. And the reason I wanted to reference Scott, um, the guy that I know that got caught with seven pounds of cocaine and never did a day of jail in his life. It's because our system, our judicial system, and our prison system, for one, our prison system is all privately owned. They're privately ran companies, right? Um, money dictates somebody's freedom or money dictates or the lack of money dictates whether you're going to be pretty much a lifelong criminal because you're going to be stuck in the system because you can't afford to pay the fines. Uh, you can't afford good lawyers. You're going to be stuck with a, a public defender. Um, so now when we're going to look at demographics, okay, you go out to these very rich local neighborhoods they have money for good attorneys half the people in the neighborhood are probably very successful attorneys living in 1.22 million dollar houses you go into inner city situations um to where we have low income situations people they get multiple charges they get busted with 20 dollars worth of pot 100 dollars worth of pot they go in they serve their 30 days uh, they don't get no rehabilitation. They get put back out on the street. They go in and they're on the parole program or the probational program. And then they start peeing dirty because they, they've never gotten the right help to stop or the tools to be successful in life. So their only dependency would be getting out on the streets and selling dime bags or whatever it may be. Now, I'm not justifying any of that behavior. I want to be very clear about that. So when we look at people that are stuck in the system, and Scott, this is what we were really talking about, is people that are stuck in the matrix of the system is because they don't have the financial means to go out and do certain things that people can do with financial means. They don't have the money to pay for a good attorney to be uh, to, to sit in front of a judge and to be um, charged correctly or to have something worked out, right? So I don't know, brother. I, I, well, can I interject well, a question here, guys, sure. if you don't mind? You know, we're talking about the fact that there are certain segments of the population that do something that would be illegal, maybe even felonious, but they're able to get around the incarceration because they're, of their ability to afford a good lawyer. My first question is, what is the difference between a good lawyer and a bad lawyer when it comes to an individual that's facing incarceration? And what does that money buy with a good lawyer? A judge. Well, I wouldn't say it buys a judge, but certainly like, let's, let's just take a walk somebody through the step. Somebody's arrested for a drug offense, let's say, okay? Especially somebody from a low income neighborhood. They would be placed in jail, held with a certain amount of bond. They would not be able to make that bond. So they'd be incarcerated for a period of time, especially with COVID where the court system is kind of bogged down. So they're sitting for a while. Um, they go and be stuck there. And if you have low income, you would maybe qualify for a public defender. Public defenders are state provided attorneys. They're kind of playing for the same team. 
um, obviously. Then you have like a court appointed attorney, which is in your Miranda rights. Those court appointed attorneys are actual attorneys that do the work they're assigned from a judge, gives that case to that attorney, and they have to represent you within a basis of how much you pay per month, let's say, at a reduced rate without having to come up with a retainer fee of $5,000 or whatever an attorney would be. Now, a wealthier person would be able to bail out of jail, get into some kind of treatment. They would be able to go in front of the judge stating that they went to treatment, which would get them a reduced sentence. They would get better representation from their attorney that they paid for rather than one that was handling hundreds of cases as a court appointed attorney or a public defender, which I would consider that not being represented. You'd be just having an attorney present. And so, yes, there's a socioeconomic thing going there where if you come from a lower income or have no means or family or friends to help you acquire some kind of legal representation, your chances of going in front of that judge under the same charge as somebody who had the means, you are going to probably end up with a much harsher sentence. Let me ask you something here. Um, so somebody walks into a courtroom, uh, they have a public defender. They've never met the public defender till that day. Um, they meet the public defender. He has a stack of folders, 30 or 40 folders. Those are his brand new clients just from that day. Um, the American citizen, the beautiful thing in our hearts that we want to continue to believe about this country, a part of our judicial system is the right to a fair trial. Uh, and fair representation. Are we or are we not offering the right to fair representation when we are giving an overworked, burnt out public defender? How many people are innocent or do not deserve the charges upon them, but end up getting charged for that because they didn't have proper representation? Go ahead. Well, I would think, I, I hate to make this statement as a loyal Republican and, and uh, American, but I think there's a part of that where I don't think the statement you live in the freest country in the world is really true. I think you live in the safest country in the world. I mean, besides some kind of gun violence, because we have the right to bear arms. Um, the United States outranks all other countries in the world in incarceration. Regardless of population, the United States it has more people incarcerated than China and Russia combined. And that to me seems like a statistic that nobody ever hears. You, maybe they don't, they don't report those things and maybe that's not accurate, but you can go to the Bureau of Statistics and I would hate to like say something that wasn't true to make sure that it was an actual thing here, but um, data from the Bureau of Statistics Let's see. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Anyways, and look that, no, go ahead and look that up. And and I, while you're looking that up, brother, it's astronomical. I'm just say, yeah. So while you're yeah. looking that up, just in 2018, 6.41 million people uh, are in the correctional population. 2018 jail inmates. Now prisons and jails, folks, are two totally different things. Typically, when you're in a jail, it means you're doing a year and a day or less. 
And if you're doing a year and a day or more, you're going to a, a prison uh, system. Uh, so the jail system was 738,000 just in 2018. In 2014, jail inmates held for ICE for immigration issues, 16,384. Jail inmates per 100,000 people in 2018. So every 226 people were in jail per 100,000 people. This is why we're having this conversation. Um, how many of those people that are incarcerated had money, had good attorneys, um, and what are the low-level crimes? And those are the questions that we're not asking because I'm, I'm going to tell you something. I'm guilty. When Obama released a whole bunch of people before I think he left office on his last term, um, a lot of those people were charged with crimes of pot. And I was just mad because it was Obama, right? Just because he was doing it. Um, now, we're dealing with something right now in California that these are convicted felons. And a lot of these people are dangerous felons right now with the Biden administration. Um, these are things, brother, that we need to look at. We need to explore. But here's the problem, folks, is the deeper in that rabbit hole you go, the more angry you get because you are going to find major corruption within our judicial system, within the cities, within the city councils, within the prisons. And you're going to find out that there is a small group of people making millions and millions of dollars off of the low-income uh, society that we have in this country and their low-level crimes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And to add to your thing, I found my statistic there for you guys. Um, in the United States... The United States has, and this is from 2019, uh, December 31st, the United States prison population was 2,193,798 people. China had 1,548,498 people, and Russia had just over, just under 900,000. So if you add up the top three of just below us, the United States still outranks China, Russia, and Brazil combined. And our populations come nowhere near their populations. So what is it though? So so what is it? Is it what is it when we're looking at these statistics? Um, is there a breakdown in regards to felonies, gross misdemeanors, mis you know misdemeanors, petty misdemeanors? Uh, is there a breakdown at all in regards to why we have such a high incarceration rate? Uh, I know immigration is going to be a pretty decent chunk of that number. Um, and and uh, illegal immigrants need to be detained. And unfortunately, right now, we're not doing it. I don't know uh, what the, pol well, I got my ideas what the politics is behind it. But um, is there a statistical breakdown in regards to the incarcerations that we have right now? Yes. In fact, Wisconsin, um, which I can only speak for Wisconsin, obviously. Um, but Wisconsin, for example, you can go on their Bureau of Statistics, DOC data, and they'll give you the straight numbers on who's incarcerated, why, um, terms, like over five years, under five years, you know, things, things like that. Like it's literally, literally staring at it right now. It'll tell you women, men, marital status, military experience, what religion it is, um, number of dependents, the highest grade completed, um, most serious type offense, time left to serve, uh, addiction or sex offense, I mean, it breaks it down by number, and you can just literally see which number goes where, women or men, whether they were Catholics or whatever. And you can see very clearly 
which crimes are in and which crimes are out. Um, I know the state of Wisconsin has it, and I don't know where all the listeners are out there, but I would assume a lot of them are from not from here. But most states put this out. This is my copy from 1979, 1980, because my dad used to be a state senator, so I just happened to have a copy of it. But every state puts out a book every year that has all the statistics of every single thing that happened in your state. How much it cost them? What was in the budget? Um, who's the one that signed the bill? If you want to contact somebody, it tells you exactly how to go through the system to find the person you're looking for. This is an invaluable thing. Any state, any person watching should go and get them. They're free. They don't cost you anything. Write to your congressman. Get a copy of this book from your state and learn the truth. What is that book it's called, Scott? Black and white. What's, What's the that? book called? What is the book called? Um, the state of Wisconsin book is called the Blue Book. Oh, uh, but I don't know uh, if, uh, what other states do that. But, you know, the United States budget is the same thing, only it's, you know, 900,000 pages thick. But every state has this. They put it out every year, whether it's online or not. And it tells you all the statistics of anything you want to know, even deer populations and how many squirrels live in an acre of land and everything. And all the prison information is in there. Scott, when we come back from the break, because uh, we're coming to the bottom of the hour, I, I want to talk about solutions, and uh, I want to also talk about the judicial system, uh, because we are entrapped within a matrix, and we're not really helping society. And just to let you guys know, right now we are spending $85 billion a year uh, covering incarcerations throughout this country. Let that sink in. $85 billion a year. Do not forget, four-month supply of food, folks. Emergency food supply, $50 off your first month order by going to preparewiththesituation.com, preparewiththesituation.com. We have our brother Scott on the program. We're talking judicial reform and prison reform. When we come back, folks, so much more. Stand by. Do not go anywhere. Clear. The flag is my father. 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 The flag is my dad. The flag is my mother. The flag is my brother. The flag is my teacher. The flag is my coach. The flag is my scoutmaster. The flag is my principal. The flag is our police officers. The flag is our soldiers. The flag is our sailors. The flag is our airmen. The flag is our marines. The flag is my community. The flag is my friend. The flag is me. The flag is me. The flag is you. The flag is you. The flag is us. I carry the flag. I'm Mike Lindell, inventor of MyPillow. Thanks to your support, you've helped make MyPillow become one of the fastest growing companies in America. Over the last 12 years, you've helped MyPillow create thousands of jobs right here in the USA. When I got MyPillow, I'm asleep almost immediately. I stay asleep at night and I wake up more well-rested in the morning. That's why I invented MyPillow. My patented fill adjusts to your exact individual needs and helps keep your neck supported and aligned. 
I'm interrupting this commercial right now. Retailers have canceled my pillow, and to thank you for your support, I'm gonna pass the savings directly on to you. For example, you get my six-piece towel sets, regular $109.99, now only $44.98, or my pillow dog beds for as low as $19.99 with your promo code. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit mypillow.com. I'm all day in my, I'm all day in my, I'm all day in my dark I'm not gonna lie, I love I, I love the conversations we have during the break. Sometimes uh, we, we're like, well, hold on, hold on, hold that thought before let's bring that to the air. But uh, anyways, folks, bring, welcome back to the program. I'm stumbling my words right now because we we're talking about some things during the break, and um, this is a personal topic for me, and I know it's a personal topic for Scott. We've been through the ringer, folks. Anybody who's watched me throughout the years. I do not shy away from where I come from in this life. I do not shy away of the mistakes that I made. I, I do not shy away that I've been through the system. I've been stuck in that matrix. Um, again, when we talk about life, I just want to break this down real quick. When we talk about life, we talk about racism in this country. We talk about oppression in this country. We talk about all these different things. At the end of the day, it all comes down to self-accountability and how much will and drive you have to become a better person in life. You can blame the system all you want. You can blame your mom and dad all you want. You can blame society all you want. You can blame the color of your skin all you want. But your results dictate your thought, right? Your thought dictates your results. So at the end of the day, personal accountability is a very important thing. And once you stop relying on the system and the world to save you and you rely on the person you see in the mirror is when you're actually going to start seeing true change. Donna Fiducia. Well, hold on, Donna. Before you get into the uh, to the intro, I'm actually going to ask Scott to intro himself, because one of the one of the big things during that long 90 minute conference call that Rocky and Scott and I had uh, about a month ago. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus, terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Was a, a statement that, that Rocky said. And that is, we all screw up. Some of us get caught screwing up. And when we get caught screwing up, some of us end up paying either the price for it or more than the price. A lot of times the uh, punishment does outweigh the crime. But one of the things that Rocky said to me and to Scott was that you get to a point when you're doing time where you've got a decision to make. And that is, are you going to change and be a better person? Or are you not going to change your ways? And those of you that see this show five nights a week, every week, and have been following Rocky Stucci, you know exactly what he's done. Well, Scott has done the same thing. And, and that's my, uh, Answer the phone, Dad. Yeah, that's Dad needing to answer that call. <laughs> the <laughs> you gotta love the live shows. But here's what I'd like for Scott to uh, to share with you guys. 
once he got out of prison, he changed his life. And he did some very great things and is doing very great things, whether it's in the world of construction, whether it's in the world of nonprofit organizations, whether it's in the world of helping to bring reform to individuals that have paid a price for some of the things they've done. So, Scott, we're not going to read this intro again. Except that you're stepbrothers. Well, yeah. (laughs) I didn't know when he was in prison. (laughs) Which is pretty funny. I have this mental picture at Christmas time with the two of you trying to fix mom and dad's gas fireplace. And all I saw, you didn't have the plumbers cracked. Of course we didn't. We wear belts. Your two, your two heads in the fireplace with the butt sticking out. Just mental picture, but uh, I'm sorry. I digress. All right, Scott, let's talk about some of the great things that you've done Seriously. for the community as well as helping uh, reform others. Some of the things you've been doing. Well, when I got out of prison, um, I realized that I was one of the fortunate ones. Um, my family's not poor. Um, I have a great support system. My father let me move into his house into the basement so that I wasn't homeless. Um, And I had people that I was friends with that got released at the same rough time. And they did not have that. And they were homeless and jobless, etc., etc., And you basically open the door and let somebody out and maybe send them to a halfway house. Mm. Wisconsin pays for eight weeks of that. And so in eight weeks, you have eight weeks to get your life together. And if you don't, you're pretty much right back where you started. So my thought was, why don't we do something to stop that? Why don't you give a man a job? Why don't you give a man a place to live? So instead of just a halfway house where they just kind of like bored them, I started an organization a couple of years ago that is not in existence now because it just was too much, but they have one in Atlanta called RAW, which is Recovery at Work. And they take people out of prison and I modeled mine right after that. But what it, basically if you take a man when he comes out of prison and you catch him right away and you say, I'm gonna help you get a job and whether, and you're gonna work for me. And some of your pay is gonna to go to pay for your apartment you're living in that I'm supplying you with. And some of it goes for your food, but you're you're earning it. Just like you earned your way to go to prison. You, regardless of how you wanna slice and dice and everybody who ends up in that box earned it. You wanna own it or not, fine. But when you get back out, it's a whole different world when you don't have insurance and or food stamps or something. And people need a chance to, sometimes they just need you to hold their hand and walk them through the process because maybe they're not well-educated or have computer access or any of those things or have anybody to care about them. And if you don't have anybody to care about you, what do you do? You go right back to what you were doing before that put yep. you in the box in the first place. Yep. Yep. And so in my world, I do everything I can. I write to prisoners in, in Wisconsin here. I got two or three guys that I write to regularly. One's been down for 31 years and he's just getting his treatment now. <laughs> I mean. He's due for release, but he sat 31 years before anybody talked to him. Well, what do you think after 31 years? If the guy's 72 years old and he's been in there since he was 40-something, what are you going to change about him now? 
And if you released him, he's already retired. I mean, what are you going to do? Give him a job? What are you going to do with this guy? So, yeah, people need assistance. And I there's like some complete and total, I don't know what you want to call it, faux pas about, ooh, somebody was in prison. You know, but they're just regular people like me and you. You know, everybody can make a mistake. Like in Wisconsin, if you put on the Internet and ask people if they ever drove drunk, you're going to get a 100 percent response that everybody did. They just well, that's caught. that's real important to understand. And, you know, clearly there are individuals that are in prisons that need to be in prisons. They need to stay there. You know, they need to. Sp we don't need them in society. There are individuals like that. I've met but them. there's also a hell of a lot of people that are in prison. And the big difference between somebody like them and someone like me is they got caught. Yeah. That's the difference. That's all it is. The only difference between you and an alcoholic is one drink. You That's know, right. And, and well, I, just, I don't drink, so I can yep. say that. I, I, you know, yeah. and, and this is the part, Scott, uh, that, you know, I run into such a battle with, and I don't know why, for some reason, every time I talk about these subjects, I, I feel emotions in my chest, but, um, you know, you, you covered a great point and, and I want people just to really understand this because I'm one of those guys, if I'm going to see you on a corner and you're high as hell, um, and, and you're homeless, I'm going to be the last person to judge you. I would rather be the first person to sit down next to that person just to have the conversation with them because they know more about life than most people in society. Um, but, you know, you look at somebody who comes from a very low-income environment. They go into an incarceration. Uh, they can't afford an attorney. They get locked up. They have to do a couple years. They come out, and and even the ones that in their hearts, they want better, right? So they get out of prison. They're on paper. They're under stress of, the, uh, of being under parole. Uh, then they have to go out and find a job. Well, they're going to go find a job that's maybe going to pay $9 an hour, $8 an hour, if you can find a job because you're an ex-con, right? That That's even more, you know, a difficult thing to do is finding a job when you're on paper. Um, sooner or later, like you just talked about, is that it's going to get to the point to where it becomes a survival tactic for them, and they're only going to resort to the only thing that they know, even if it's low-level stuff, not justifying the behavior, but understanding it is what I'm trying to do right now. I'm trying to get people to do is understand that behavior. So they go back to that, and then they get caught, or they pee dirty UA because they go out and take a couple hits off a joint or whatever, and they go back in. Uh, it, it's a vicious circle. And now when I say, what is the solution to that? I think it's a double-edged sword, right? I, I think it's a double solution. Somewhere in our system, we have to do better. Because even though on paper it says that prison systems and jails offer help, um, when you are around other people that don't want that help, you're trying to blend in with that community, it changes the way you think you become institutionalized. Uh, you're kind of in a safe space in a weird way to say it because you're getting food, you got clean sheets. Um, but it's also about the individual and how much they want. Scott, you were there. You did it. You made it right. I was there. I did it. I made it right. But it took me about seven tries. You get what I'm saying? I just got lucky. Absolutely. I just got lucky. So when I ask you, Scott, how do we fix this today? If we are going to go out in the streets and we are going to go talk to these prisoners and these these uh, you know, county jail inmates, uh, we're going to talk to judges. What would you say to them? Say, this is what we need to do to lessen that number of people re-offending every time they get re-released. Well, first of all, 
like you stated, there is a level of personal responsibility there. I mean, if you don't want to change, you won't. Correct. And there won't be any solution to that. But for those that want to change, even people that realized almost instantaneously after some event happened in their lives that they want change, the cost of incarcerating a man for one year in the state of Wisconsin, I think I looked it up today, it was like 35000 or 37000 a year. Well, isn't treatment cheaper than that? Couldn't you employ a man for $20,000 a year and still have 14000 left over to treat him? Um, it just seems like the money's being spent in the wrong spot. It, it seems like if you wanted to change the system and change people's lives, you have to give them some kind of hope. Not just, a, not just a carrot on a treadmill and a bunch of flaming hoops you're going to jump through and you're never going to get to the end, but some realistic goals and some realistic things that they can accomplish, they can see, they can feel themselves moving forward, becoming a productive member of society. Because society itself, not only with the lowering of crime is better, but having people employed paying taxes and not being part of food stamps or government health care and things is also good. So it all starts, I would think, catching a man right when it happens and doing something to change his life or giving him the opportunity right then rather than waiting years to do so. So they're, they've almost gotten to a point, like you said, institutionalized where you're used to not washing your clothes or feeding yourself or whatever. So when you get out, Man, I, who wouldn't want that system of wife taking care of you for how many years? And now you have to get out and do it yourself? You, you Doesn't know, seem it, again, like something you want to do. It, exactly. But again, looking at it from the outside in, again, what Rocky just talked about, that vicious cycle, it happens when you get out. And, and unfortunately, the government, in my opinion, can't ever do anything right at all to help anybody. So what you're saying is uh, responsibility. The government doesn't want that. The government wants you dependent. And you know, then you hear the story of the uh, 75 year old man who goes out and, and commits a crime so he can be put in jail and he gets full benefits, including yep. dental, yep. which he couldn't afford before. Well, and Donna, that's why you get a lot of people. That's exactly why you get a lot of people that purposely reoffend, and that's that's that institutionalized mentality. Is that they can't survive in the real world? They've lost their societal mentality to where they just can't be around people living free. They're used to being told what time to go to bed, what time they have to eat dinner. They got to go mop the floor that time during the day, and they're okay. They got a roof over their head. They don't have to pay taxes. It, it becomes a way of life for some people, and that unfortunately is the case for a probably pretty good percentage of people that are stuck in the incarceration system. Oh, Let me go. Scary. It is scary. And it's the, the world is real and it, it is scary. Now, Scott, I do have a question for you, but I have one more statement I want to make when you bring up treatment, because again, let me start out with this word, self accountability. Everything starts and ends right there. But we talk about treatment. When I went into treatment, I went into treatment for opioids. I was a chronic opioid addict and I went into, um, St. Joe's Hospital in St. Paul, Minnesota was at Ramsey Hospital. I was there. I was supposed to be there. It was a 30-day program. I went in. I was released after two days. Why were you released after two days, Rocky? Let me tell you. Because I went in because I was overdosing on Oxycontins. I went into treatment, and what did the treatment center do? 
They put me on methadone. That was their cure to me getting off of OxyContin. And of course, what happened, Scott? You know what happened? I became a methadone addict. So it's 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 almost like they want to keep you there. They want to keep you a victim. They want to keep you dependent, whether it be medically, whether whether it be judicial, no matter what part of the system is, once you're stuck there and you learn how to be a victim. You will remain a victim. I have a quote right here. If you don't know the truth, you will never understand or see the lie. Here's my question to you, brother. You meet somebody, first-time offender, young kid, young man, young woman, whatever it may be, and they just went into the system. What could you do in your words? Could you say to that individual to give them the best warning you can of the potential life that they could have? Well, if it's a first-time offender and they're going into that environment, it's a scary environment, and there's no doubt about that. Um, your, I guess my best thing would advice would be to use your time wisely. They have libraries. They have, you know, other things there. If you use your time wisely, hobbies, whatever, depending on whether your family can support you with the certain things. I didn't even know how to play a guitar when I went to prison. And when I came out, I, I'm freaking Eddie Van Halen now. So it's just the time that you spend there. Make sure your brain doesn't get sucked in there and you end up staying there because you can carry that back with you back out again if you let it get in you. And if you don't, you can come back out a little changed, but not as bad as you'd be if you got institutionalized and hung around with the wrong crowd you were there and you know how easy that is and, and folks if you want to see real racism if you want to see real racism you will go into any federal prison or state prison in the entire country and i guarantee you the mexicans are going to be over there the blacks are going to be over there the whites are going to be over here and they stick together that is the way it is and, and, and you know I, I, the things that happen to people inside those shower stalls and the things that happen to people with those shanks because folks it gets in Knives get in, drugs get in, cocaine gets in, heroin gets in, everything gets in. No problem. Um, it is a vicious, vicious world. But can our government fix this? Can our judicial system somehow change the way it does things, even when it comes to representation? Can we seriously fix this problem? Because you need both ends of the market here, brother. You need that individual to take that responsibility of making their life right, but you also need a system that's going to be more fair and balanced in regards to proper representation. Um, so how do we meet in the middle when it comes to some of the major corruption within our judicial system and then trying to help people on the streets? Well, I think it's all, it's all a matter of perspective. Mm -hmm. If you take a bunch of people that have been incarcerated they don't trust the system. They don't trust the police. They don't, you know, there's, there's no level of trust there that if somebody were to offer you health help that you'd take it. Like if you just walked out into the street and some guy whooped your ass and kicked you, kicked you all over the dirt. When he says, sorry, dude, reaches his hand out to pick you back up again. Are you going to take it? No, you're going to be once bitten twice shy. And that's kind of the way the system is right now. You get kicked around so much that by the time you get out, the people you're trying, they're trying to help you, like a probation officer, for example. You know, I've had good ones and I've had bad ones. And some of them cared and some of them 
I don't think did. But there's always this, you're not really my friend. You're not really trying to help me. Always in the back of your mind. And that has to change or you're never going to accept the help from people or believe that it's going to help you change your life because you won't take the advice. It's the good advice you can't take. You know, brother, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, we push really hard on this program in regards to what's going on uh, with the manufactured racism in the streets. Racism, racism, bottom line, has been around since the existence of man. Hatred, uh, it's part of human character. It's going to be around no matter what, no matter how much the government tries to change it. Um, but when we talk about... Um, uh, how do I want to go about this? How do I want to go about this in regards to that? Oh, dude, you got my mind going all over the freaking planet right now. There's so many things I want to talk about. But when we talk about that accountability and we talk about. Responsibility. Re yeah. Yeah. It's the hard, police. Though. We talk about the police. Uh, we talk about how you say there's a level of trust issues in regards to like what I went through. Um, dude, I didn't trust anybody. Uh, it was the judge's fault. It was a police officer's fault um, until I actually looked in the mirror, right? Because my last person, my last person that I blamed in my life was that man. I lost my faith in him. I hated him uh, because it, you run out of people to blame for your faults and your errors and who you are, your character and the, uh, the choices and the mistakes that you made. And then there, the day came, brother. The day came where I, I looked in the mirror. Right. And I looked right into my eyes and it was the scariest part of my life. And I, I, I had this huge, huge realization that all the hatred that I emitted upon the world, all the hatred that I emitted upon, whether it be people in the government, whether it be judges, whether it be cops, whether it be the people that hunted me down or my family that cut me out of their life because I abused every privilege I had with my family. I realized that that hatred, I was looking into the soul of the man. That was responsible for all that. It wasn't my family's fault. It wasn't the judge's fault. It wasn't the probation officer's fault. It wasn't God's fault. It was that guy's fault who I was looking at in that mirror. Uh, I'm going to tell you something. Folks, listen to me. Taking responsibility for your life is the hardest thing you can ever possibly do. Taking responsibility for the mistakes that you made is the hardest thing you can do. Taking accountability for your faults for your decisions, for your choices is not easy. But damn it, I'm going to tell you something. And Scott lives like this too. My closet, it's empty. No court rules me. No probation officer rules me. No individual rules me. I rule me and my God rules me at the end of the freaking day. Um, this struggle is real. It, it's a real life thing. Um, I, I, and Scott, I, I tell you, I, I look at all these statistics, man. I, I look at, so you understand it from the inside. I don't know, brother, and I don't mean to sound negative about this. I don't know how in this country or even on this planet we can fix this. I, I, I don't know because it's a double-edged sword, brother. I, I, I don't even know where to start. Go ahead. Hey, Rock, let yeah. me uh, – I, I want Scott to share a statistic with us, and he knew this off the top of his head when we were having our conversation. Scott, there were two things that really – drove a point home about how many people, especially in the state of Wisconsin, are behind bars or have been behind bars. And these numbers that he's about to share with you, I hope you remember them, man. 
I know you remember your number. Um, share the inmate number, the DOC number, as well as the percentage of individuals that reside in Wisconsin that have spent time or are spending time in prison. Ladies and gentlemen, this is mind-numbing, these numbers he's about to give us. Okay. Well, I'll give you a couple things off the top of my head that, you know, people can look it up and fact check me, but I'm pretty good at it. Okay. In Wisconsin, there's 72 counties. There are 74 jails. And there are 34, or 30, sorry, 37 adult prisons. That means for every two counties, there's a full prison in Wisconsin. And that's not even the county jail. Each county already had its county jail. Now, my number, if you want to look me up, I am number 327967. That's how I'm identified in the entire state, even to this day. I am number 327967. What that means is, is that I committed a felony and I was the 327,967th person to be placed on as a felon in the state of Wisconsin. And that was in 1996 or seven. Okay. When I went to prison, I met the man who had number eight and I ran across the kid who just came in and mind you, this is 2008, nine. So 10 years after I got my number, his number was 837,000 something. Okay. And that is still 10 years ago. So the number now is well over a million, maybe a million and a half, but that means that in the state of Wisconsin, which has a population, I believe, four to six million, something like that, it might even be higher. But that means that 1,500,000 people in the state of Wisconsin have a DOC number as a felon. That's not counting misdemeanors or parking tickets, speeding tickets. We're talking actual felonies. And whether they went to prison or not for that felony or whatever, or got a break or whatever, they still have a number. So you can take the number there and say that it's almost like 10% or more of the entire state of Wisconsin has a Department of Corrections number. And those are just men. Because the women's numbers, even though they'd be in there in the numbers, in Wisconsin, there's only one woman's facility. And they take up such a small portion of it it's insane. But the state of Wisconsin itself, as of now, currently, right now, today, the state of Wisconsin has, as of December 31st of 2019, had 23,692 people incarcerated in prison. Of those, the males were 22,165, and females were made up about 1,500% and 94% of them were male, and 51% of them are white, and 44% are black, even though black only makes up 13% of the population of the state of Wisconsin, they make up 44% of the prison. Mm, 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 mm. Wow. Hey, brother, um, 
just went a little before you started throwing those statistics out. This conversation overstimulates my brain sometimes. I just sent Don and Don a message. I like I totally forgot my whole point of what I was saying before. I, I don't even remember. It's, we, it's, we knew you did. <laughs> oh, dude, it was. I don't even know what happened because it, it means so much. And, and Scott, when Don asked you to come on the program, you didn't even hesitate because it means as much to you as it does me. And and you know that there are good people, man. Uh, you know there are damn good people out there that are stuck. You, you know, and some of those people never make it out. We have less than ninety seconds here, but brother, um, you're going to come back on. You're coming back on, and you and I are going to get together off the air, and we're going to bullet point some of these hard topics in regards to prison reform. And then I want to talk about the legalization of marijuana, the the people that are incarcerated because marijuana, uh, veteran use of marijuana. This is one of the conversations we're having um, uh, during the break, folks. But you too are inspirational to someone like Don and myself. I mean, we've never been on the inside, but you can you have shown us that there is hope. And, you know, I guess to just point a phrase, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And you guys really uh, are uh, an example of that. And before we go, congratulations to a beautiful daughter of yours, Trinity, who is graduating high school this year. Yeah. Congrats, girl. Congratulations. And joining the Trinity. Army. Yes, yeah, she And joining and the Army. the Army. There you go. Hey, Brother Scott, thank you so much. And just for the record, folks, if I ever do slip up again, I got to go back to prison. I'm going to identify as a female so I can go to a female prison. You know what I'm talking about? But don't judge me. Folks, hey, expect a part two to this program because we are literally just scratching the surface. Until next time, we love the hell out of you guys. Good night, everybody.